Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. Chelsea Murray here, back with another episode to help you and your dog have more fun when out on the trails. Today, I'm talking to friend and fellow dog trainer Daniel Rose with Dogs and Deadlifts. We're going to be talking about one of his favorite topics, which is canine conditioning and creating the ultimate canine athlete. But today, we're going to take a different spin on it, and specifically, we're going to be talking about transitioning between in-season and off-season. I don't know where you guys are tuning in from, but I, here in Atlanta, Georgia, experienced some pretty significant heat and humidity over the summer. And with a double-coated breed like a Malamute, it means that I'm having to get pretty creative about what we're doing in the off-season to keep our dogs in shape and maintain a certain baseline so that when our in-season training starts to hit, we're ready to jump in and start amping things up. But this certainly does take some creativity and it definitely takes some structure to make sure that you and your dogs are staying safe, maintaining that nice foundation, and amping up at the right intensity. So today, Daniel and I are going to dive into what that transition looks like, what some activities are that you can include in your program to help you between those transitions, and transitioning out of season, how we can help transition those ultimate canine athletes that are all amped up from their endurance training into that well-behaved dog that can sit around with us at home. So let's take a listen. I love that. So talk to us a little bit about how you did get started in dogs. Yeah, for sure. So going back probably, you know, probably 16, 17 years ago now, I think it was, I, for some reason, I, 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 I was reading a magazine, I think it was, and I, I come across uh, police, police dogs and, uh, you know, this, you know, there's a great article about, um, you know, this, uh, this guy who just, you know, been a police dog handler, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really awesome. And I did a heap of research, basically got to the point where, I talked to my partner and she said there was a course, there was a, uh, an introduction course. So I went along to a, like a, a, a one day seminar and I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. So I ended up completing uh, here in Australia, a um, certificate three in dog training and behavior. And basically it went from there at that particular time, we just got our first puppy and it was a boxer puppy. <laughs> um, and I went on to uh, German shepherds and working that sort of, um, you know, prote- protection roles and things like that. I ended up, uh, went from one thing to another. I, I then imported uh, Dutch Shepherds and, and uh, Malamars from uh, Holland. It just sort of escalated. And all I wanted to do um, was work with dogs full-time in any capacity whatsoever. But uh, yeah, it just started with a, a magazine article and I just jumped, jumped into it sort of neck deep from there. I find that to be true with dog people of all sorts. It's like a spiraling effect. You get one and then you just go in really deep and it's hard to, you know, see yourself doing anything else. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, from from that, like I said, I just wanted to work dogs full time. I opened up my own dog training business. I trained uh, for a number of others, group group instructor, um, attended as many seminars, workshops as as I could um, on behavior, training, obedience, and then... Yeah, I end up, you know, I suppose fast forward a few years and then I op- opened up a, a facility um, here in Australia, doggy daycare, dog training, dog grooming. Um, 
and originally my wife and I were doing it all ourselves. We ended up with about eight staff members, um, but that sort of led me to, you know, the point where, as I mentioned before, I've been a bit burnt out, um, unhealthy, both mentally and physically, um, mm-hmm. you know, so got to the point where, yeah, I, I woke up one morning and just said, I need, I need a break. And uh, we decided that um, we're going to sell the business and move a little bit closer to family because at that point we had also uh, were expecting twin boys which was super exciting <laughs> now that's a life changer uh-huh. but, um, <laughs> um, but certainly um that sort of led me to 2019 when the concept of uh um you know dogs and deadlifts was planted in my brain and uh yeah we we launched in uh, 20, 2020 now, I know that this idea of fitness and the human and the dog being uh, in good shape and being able to enjoy activities together was kind of always at the forefront. Was Canacross and dog-powered sports always a part of that as well? So, to be honest, no, not not initially. initially. So, initially, I was running boot camps for people and their dogs. So, um, basically, it was a – so, I'll just take a step back a moment, but um, so my – I wanted to get my fitness, my own personal uh, health and well-being sorted, and then you know, and that sort of led me to um, doing certifications, uh, personal training certifications, and I was very focused on the human element. It wasn't until a little bit later, um, and things started sinking in, that the dog, the dog side came in as well. So then I started doing. Uh, I found it, uh, Erica Bowling, which. Um, was on your podcast recently and I, I conduct, I finished her um, certification. Um, but initially we were running, yeah, boot camps. So, you know, a combination of obedience and fitness. Um, look, they were a heap of fun. Yeah. <laughs> they were a heap of fun. Uh, did the concept take off? No, it didn't. You know, <laughs> um, you know but I, I loved every moment I had, I was, I was doing something with my, with my dog, uh, exercise wise, you know, whether, it, you know, me being doing some jumping jacks or planks or squat, you know, body weighted squats, my dog was always beside me. So, you know, we should be there uh, with the workouts. And it wasn't, yeah, until a little bit later when I met Erica that, um, you know, she brought up uh, Candy Cross and Dog Powered Sports. And uh, at the at that particular time, I was like, yeah, like, light bulb moment. Now that's the go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so I started, um, I bought, you know, I ordered some nonstop equipment online. And uh, I suppose it's been probably th- you know, I'm pretty, still pretty new. It's been about three years and loving it. I love that. Now talk yeah. to me a little bit about the dogs in your life. Yeah, for sure. So um, before, um, the dog that I mentioned that came everywhere with me, um, so her name was Sunday. She was a, uh, a bully mix. Uh, she was born deaf and uh, so she's no longer with me anymore. So she passed away um, about 18 months ago. She was about nine roughly. And um, so she was sort of like my foundation to everything. She was my demonstration dog for my business. Uh, she, you know, we would, we would candy cross, we would, we would bike, you know, she absolutely loved it. She was a powerhouse. And then she was my pinup, pinup girl for my, uh, my, my business as well. So when I lost her, I was a little bit, you know, I was a little, I had a moment and I was a little bit uh, unsure of where to go, what to do. Um, and I know I, before she passed, probably six months before she passed, I knew that I wanted to be competitive in dog-powered sports. So I, I started looking uh, around at uh, GSP, GP, you know, Grayster mixes, Eurohounds and things like that. Um, 
and you know, so I started doing my research and started talking to breeders and uh, it just so happens that once Sunday passed, two breeders that I'd been speaking with offered me adult dogs. Um, you know, so currently I have Duke, who he's about three years old. He's a, he's a pure G GSP. Uh, now, he's not super, uh, super into the, uh, the dog power sports. He, he will canny um, for a short period of time, but he prefers to free run on the trails with me and, uh, and do nose works and scent, scent work. So he, that's his sort of go-to. And then I have Noah, who comes from a, another breed, pure GSP. He's about seven and uh, he absolutely loves it. Uh, he's sort of just that next level from the day that I um, I picked him up at the airport in Harness. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was, must have been the next day. He just uh, pulls, just born to pull. And he has been a show dog for all his life. So I'm like, yep. Uh, I think I had him for two weeks and I took him out on the bike and he killed it you know we were for a dog that did not know directions and we you know we followed a friend of mine and you know we're hitting over 35 k's an hour on his first uh, his first go and i'm like yeah well we might have some potential here <laughs> i love that perfect home sounds like it was meant to be that's exactly what his breeder said like he um, you know, he stopped his show career because he, uh, he was out walking one day and another dog, uh, bit him underneath the fence and, and he lost half of his ear, but he's an Australian champion in the show ring before that. Um, but certainly, uh, I believe that, um, you know, Kenny Cross and Biker, where's his he, he's calling. for sure. That's right. Yeah. So when you mentioned Erica, we had Erica yeah. on a couple of weeks ago and we were talking yeah. about, uh, building, you know, plans for the dogs to build endurance, speed, yep. stamina. But today we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different angle on that. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, our cross training and then how to transition between in-season and off-season. Because yep. this can be tricky for us to navigate on both ends. You know, as we are in our off-season and ramping up, we need to be careful to make sure that the dogs aren't getting hurt. And as we're coming off of our season and coming into that you know, time where we're not running the dogs with the bike, we've got these very strong athletic dogs that then from both a fitness and training perspective, we need to address to make sure they're not, you know, destroying the home because they have all this pent up energy. So <laughs> for this, um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about, you know, how our training plans um, in a very generic way, we'll dive in yeah. a little more, but how your training plans for cross training will vary versus when you are in season and off season yeah for sure so you know i know that and you know there's a number of different philosophies and things like this but we'll talk about you know mine and look right now it's summer here in australia and we are we're just been you know we're just hanging out we're just doing dog stuff you know um, we're going for walks there's there's no uh training plan at this point in time i'm, I'm actually putting it together for both uh the dogs and i um however so you know, once once we sort of get over this little bit of, uh, you know, rest and re recovery time, if you like, um, I'll sit down and, and like I said, I'll, I'll work out a program. I like to work out uh, potentially four-week blocks. Um, so I have my calendar in regards to the events coming up next year that I want to go to, you know. So that's, that's super important because for me, I want to choose a, an event and I want to make sure that I potentially peak at that particular event. You know, I know that, you know, I was talking to someone in, about agility recently, you know, and they can go to agility competitions every weekend, right? You mm -hmm. know, but but which one do you want to really, really do well at and which one do you want to peak at, right? So that's where I, I really sit down and I plan out my calendar. 
and you know what we'll do is we'll work out like i said i'll, I'll start with a, a um, a bigger a cycle. So we'll look at that overall on the calendar. It could be six months away. It could be three months away. Uh, then I'll start breaking it down into uh, uh, weeks and then, um, you know, months, then weeks and then days. Yeah. So in the off season, for instance, I'll, um, you know, I'll build up very, very slowly. Like we've just taken a couple of months off. We're just going to, just going to cruise. Um, and then we're going to start in introducing, for me, there's a number of different exercises that I like to do. I don't uh, do too much high intensity work, um, you know, in the early days. Once we get a bit closer to our, um, you know, our, our goal, if you like, or our, our competition, I'll add some in. Um, some of those high intensity days in there. But originally, you know, so going back, I'll just start off very, very low, um, low impact, low level aerobically, and also low level strength work as well. So yes, we still do our warm-ups, we still do our incorporate our proprioception work, as you mentioned, our flexibility, things like that. That's that's a given, right? That's a that's a day in, day out every week. Yeah. So yes, I add it into my program. However, you know, um, it's just there because it's what we do every day. <laughs> you know, if you get your dog to, to sit, you get your dog to drop, you know, that's how we inc we incorporate our, our warm-ups and our cool-downs into our everyday plans. So, to, to, I suppose how, how it varies, I suppose, you know, we want to make sure that we're peaking at the right time and we're doing the right exercises at the right time. I'm a big fan of of drag work. Now you, you've uh, you've seen a lot of my videos and a lot of my, my programming around drag work. Now, if you're not familiar with drag work, um, you know it's a custom made weight weight pull harness, for instance, uh, with extra length at the back, um, making sure that obviously the harness fits properly. We generally get them custom made, and uh, we drag uh, we drag chains. So the reason I drag chains is because we, I know the, I can weigh the chains and we can get the prescribed weight. You know, a lot of people say to me, hey, let's just drag a tire. Yeah, and that's, that's cool. You know, dragging a tire is okay. You know, how much does a tire weigh? Is it a big tire? Is it a small tire? Is it a medium tire, right? So when I'm doing my, my strength work on my, my drag work, um, I sort of hit two birds, one stone because it works, works, works my dog um, aerobically and also it works, builds their strength as well. It comes down to also the prescribed weight and also the prescribed distance, right? So I calculate it, um, you know, I've been in the strength and conditioning human world for quite a while and, you know, you don't go to the gym and just do a hundred reps, yeah? So right. generally you'll see your personal trainer and they will give you prescribed reps, prescribed weight. You know, sets and reps. We once once it's done, you move on to another exercise, and that's what I I do with our drag work. Um, prescribe, I don't know something super simple. You know, not all dogs are okay with the noise behind them being the chain, so we need to make sure that we acclimate them correctly and appropriately before we even worry about anything else. You know, but I've got some people that are just starting out, and uh, they're if I can, they're ten percent of body weight, for instance, and they're dragging for. I would say for your listeners about half a mile, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, obviously we're in meters and kilometers here, but you know, but roughly, um, you know, half a mile. That's it. You know, two two to three times a week in the off season, right? Um, just to build up that, um, you know, that base. Building the base is super important. 
you know, and then we can, you know, depending on um, the dog and the the goals, we can build on that uh, very linear. So we could potentially go, we stay at half a mile, but then we could go, go the next week, we could go to 15% and then we could build to uh, 20% of the dog's uh, body weight, you know. But at some point, um, you know, I move from the chains to a fitness sled and then I can add weights over a very short distance to, be, to build uh, speed and power. So that's a little bit closer to, to uh, you know, competition season. Yeah. And that's, I, I think it's important to make that distinction too, not only in building a plan that's custom for each dog, but also building a plan based on the time of year, because how you amp up for your season is going to change. But as you mentioned, that base is essential because if we don't have that base, by the time our season comes around, we're going to have to spend our time building that base back up instead of being able to jump you know, a little more into our training programs. For sure. And I, I see that, you know, some, you know, I won't say often, but I do see that, that, you know, people have done not much with their dogs and then they start building as of race one, you know, <laughs> like they, they, by the, by the time they get to the end of the season, yeah, they're hitting their peak performance, but that's all the race has done. So, you know, we want to make sure that, um, you know, when the season starts, we're us as humans, but also our dogs are ready to go as well. So in our off season, you did mention drag work with them. And obviously we're doing normal dog things like taking them for walks and taking them for hikes. Um, You know, our normal proprioception activities, maybe indoors, some obedience and manners. What other things are you focusing on during that off season? Yeah. So, um, look, I, you know, get the dog swimming or if you've got close by um, an underwater treadmill, but it's super low impact stuff. Um, And also for me, you know, and this is what people don't consider often is the recovery and, and getting, you know, for me, it all, it all starts with nutrition. Nutrition is a base in my program. So getting nutrition right. And then also talking about um, recovery. So, you know, that may include massage. It may include, um, you know, just a, a nice, easy walk. No, you know, regards to no pulling, you know, um, or the, the hydrotherapy tread, treadmill. So really focusing on, um, that recovery side of things is is super important. Like I said, massages, um, you know, oils, you know, whatever you like to use, um, or whatever your dog likes, <laughs> um, to ensure that um, you know they're going to be prepped physically, mentally for the season ahead. You know, but super low impact. And like I said, I, I spend I'll spend the next three months or the next twelve weeks building base work. Yeah. So let's talk about that recovery a little bit more. Um, So as we are finishing out our season, oftentimes there's a little bit of exhaustion for both Mm -hmm. us and the dog. So do you generally recommend a bulk amount of time of recovery where we kind of don't do a lot? And then, you know, how does that recovery after our season compare to recovery that might occur normally within a program? Yeah, for sure. So, so when I, when I generally program, I, I have a number of different days that I, um, or so we go to make it super simple, a light, a medium, uh, and a heavy day. And, uh, you know, for me, we meet, we need to make sure that we program the light days or the recovery days with, within our weeks and therefore within our months. Yeah. So a recovery day is not, <laughs> you know, um, you know, going out and doing hours and hours of obedience, you know, like it might be a, a, you know, a 40 minute, nice, easy trot on a treadmill or, you know, a swim, things like that, you know, so, you know, focusing on that recovery, um, which included 
maybe a 20 minute massage um, or if, you know, depending if in your local area, you know, I'm a big fan of dry needling as well, you know, so for both me and my dog, they, you know, they love it. So it depends on your practitioner, of course, but, you know, just making sure that throughout your, your weeks when you went in the off season and also the on season, you're ensuring that that uh, recovery is, is there. A lot of the time we think our dogs are bulletproof. Yeah. You know, our dogs can cope with a lot of stuff uh, physically and, you know, a lot of dogs are tough and we miss a lot of injuries as well because they don't give us the right, you know, so they don't give us signs that they are in, you know, potentially in pain or they will, uh, you know, they'll hide a, like look at us, for instance, a psoas injury, you know, like they're real good at hiding those. <laughs> yeah, know? they are. And, uh, you know, and it takes a long time to recover from that. So, Knowing our dog and understanding our dog is super important for me. Um, I I modified a human um, sort of flow chart, the the Borg rate of perceived exertion chart. So I modified that to suit uh, my clients and, and dogs, for instance. So um, I've simplified it quite a lot. But you know, you look at um, in that in that chart, levels one to three for me is light activity. Levels four to seven is moderate, vigorous activity, and eight to 10 is very hard or max effort, okay? So a dog can't tell us whether he's going max effort um, or he's going light. So it's super important that we have a good understanding of knowing our dog and also the rate of their perceived exertion. So that's the only way that, um, you know, you can only tell me about your dog, right? I'm, I'm like, is he going 50% or is he going 100%, right? I, you, you tell me, he's your dog. So getting people to understand their dogs and um, know where each session is at um, on that rate of perceived exertion and making sure that we dial in those um, recovery sessions, those light, those light activity days, I don't care what it is, you know, um, providing it's on a, on a scale of one to 10, uh, it's no more than a three. <laughs> Yeah, that's huge. Well, and I think that that kind of comes down to this idea too, that when we talk to a lot of our pet owners for basic manners is this idea of being able to read the dog. A lot of people who think that they're dog people think they know how to read dogs don't necessarily. And when we are, you know, hooked up on a line behind the dog, it, it can be harder to see some of those signals of communication. And we have to watch for really small signals like changes in, you know, ear position or changes in tail position. You have to know what your dog's normal gait looks like and what that normal baseline is so that you can then say something is off. I might not know what it is, but I know something has changed. And that lets me know, you know, that I need to take a break or that I need to do further evaluation on that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm right in into the sciencey type stuff, you know. I love it, and I'm waiting for the for the moment that someone develops a heart rate monitor for our dogs that is consistently spot on. Do that, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, people are experimenting with it, but it's not spot on. And it's not consistent, right? So, you know, we've got Garmin's, we've got Fitbits, we've got Apple Watches, you know, telling us all this cool data that's going on within our own bodies. You know, I can't wait for the to, for the point where we can we can know those same datas, you know, with our dogs, and therefore we can jump so many you know leaps and bounds. We're going to go forward, um, and in regards to our training programs, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're looking at our off season. Um, we, we definitely want to give our dogs a bit of a mental break. We want them yep. to be able to decompress a little. We want them to be able to experience some different types of activities. Mm -hmm. um, what 
what are you looking for from the dog to determine how much time off they might need, you know, after the season and throughout your off season? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very hard one. You know, for me though, you know, go, I know going back, so we're going to have about a couple, two months off, right? We're just going to be chilling out. Um, you know, we're going to do some nose works. We're going to do a little bit of tracking, you know, uh, some scent stuff. If like one of my dogs is highly driven and, you know, he's like, I don't want time off. I just want to go, 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 right? You know, so dialing him back is is really super hard, you know, um, very, very hard. So it really depends on, on your dog. And once again, knowing your dog, having a good understanding, um, you know, but, you know, over the next couple of months, you know, I'll double check um, a number of things in regards to their nutrition. You know, I might even put a couple of extra kilos on or a bit, a little bit of size um, in regards to that. Obviously, as we come closer to competition, we'll lean out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I'll, I'll experiment a little bit about with um, uh, my combination of my, my carbs and my proteins uh, in regards and the fats as well. So how much I'm giving them. Um, I've been playing around with a recovery drink, you know, so after exercise, um, a combination of uh, some amino acids and some um, some oats and some other supplements I've been using, you know, so it's, it's, it gives me time to just play around with that stuff. <laughs> um, you know, the, certainly the off season, but you know, is he ready to go? Yeah, he is. You know, and it's only been three weeks. He's like, Dad, I want to do stuff. I want to do stuff. I'm, you know, um, he's being. You can tell he's he's getting a little bit bored, right? But I'm like, no, dude, we just need to uh, to chill out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up too, because a lot of the dogs that love these sports are extremely high drive dogs, and oftentimes, you know, they will be limping on a leg, and they're still telling you they want to go. They don't want to mm -hmm. stop. And so, for us as the human caregiver, it's important for us to be able to step in and say, I know you might not want to, but you need this break, you know, and then we have to get creative on our end for sure in terms of other enrichment and outlets and even training to kind of help combat that, teach yep. them how to, you know, be calm in the house, um, you know, yep. offer them other enrichment to kind of burn out that energy in a very low impact way. For sure. You know, some, some target training, some trick training, you know, that sort of stuff to mentally, and that's why we moved to uh, so to some scent scent work, you know. Um, so um, we've been doing our own scent um, scent work for some time, but I'm, I'm also running some classes as well. So you know, we we're going to we, we have transitioned already to that, and uh, you know that is a, a fantastic outlet as well. So you know, if, uh, and it's low low impact. You know, we're we're not going 100 miles an hour, and um, you know, with Noah for instance, he's the sort of dog that's actually got it you know, with scent work, he's got to slow down and think, you know, rather mm -hmm. than just squirrel, 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 you know, going everywhere, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a fantastic exercise for him uh, just to just sort of calm his mind. And, um, you know, we're not going a hundred miles an hour um, in the activity. So um, certainly in the off season, I'm a big advocate of, of doing that type of stuff. Yeah, it's good for him. It's good for him to learn new skills, to learn how to solve new problems. You know, I think as people and as dogs, it makes everybody more well-rounded for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I get, I get a break as well. So you know, I'm yeah. just, uh, I'm, I'm doing light runs and uh, I got a new mountain bike yesterday, but uh, you know, so I'm just doing some light, um, you know, road running for me as well. So uh, it's only a couple of times a week at the moment. So I will, I'm in the same, I'm basically in the same position. So. Yeah. 
For sure. So hopefully during, you know, after our break, we're in our off season and we're keeping that base nice and strong for the dogs so that by the time our season comes around, we can start amping things up, start increasing our fitness level. Um, At what point, you know, do you decide to start amping that up? Is it based on the event that you have coming based on the weather, based on the dog combination of all of them? Yeah, look, so it will be a combination. So, um, so yeah, we may spend approximately three, like I said, 12 weeks working really solid base building, you know, but our base building is going to be rock solid, you know, you know, aerobically, we're going to be on point. Yeah. So uh, then we're going to increase, you know, potentially, we're going to move to the bike, and uh, we're going to do some short runs. So uh, I would say generally, I'll I'll go with my kilometer runs, um, you know, which is, I'm not sure what that you know, what's a, I think, I think a mile is about 1.66 Ks roughly. <laughs> I think it is. So, you know, to give a bit of an indication. So it's under a mile. Um, it'll be short runs and, you know, we may do one of those, but then we'll have a good 15 minute, 15 to 20 minute break. And then we'll do probably maximum of three, but super important. So I did a little bit of research and there's, there's not too much out there around, um, for dogs, right? So I've got to go over to the human world and um, I go back to sort of Carl Lewis, right? So Carl Lewis is trained. I just can't think of his name off the top of my head right now, but he would get Carl to do a, a 20 or 40 meter sprint and then he'd have a recovery in between those 20 or 40 meter sprint would be up to five minutes, right? So um, that's the sort of data that I that I look at and take and sort of uh, experiment and, tr- and cross train it with, with the dogs, yeah? So a lot of the time um, we we overtrain, you know, so our dogs are certainly capable, right? But we generally, we don't give them enough rest of recovery in between sets, for instance, but also days as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we, we will start ramping it up um, around eight weeks, you know, eight weeks before um, the competition, the main competition that I want to attend. Uh, it could be race one, of the, of the season, you know, that's where we want to, um, we want to get to. However, there may be say, uh, here in Australia, there may be a big event halfway through the season. So, um, we will see where we're at after race one and then I'll tweak and I'll, um, and implement some other strategies if we need it, you know, and that may be just more time, more resistance, more, more, um, you know, higher intensity sessions. Um, so yeah, looking at, um, where we're at around eight weeks before the, that that goal, and then we'll add those um, high intensity sessions. Probably only one or two a week, to be honest. We won't uh, do a lot of those sessions, and then moving, you know, moving into the season, it's one of those things where I just really need to customize and evaluate uh, when I get, you know, when I get there. Now. Preparing for race one of the season might look pretty different than preparing for race three or four of the season. Do you find that your recovery and intensity kind of ebbs and flows throughout the season? Or once you amp up, it generally stays at a pretty high intensity? Yeah, look, if, if we've done our base and base building, you know, we want to just, you know, we want to stay very you know, at a high level, you know, so depending on how close your races are together. Yeah. So we, we can race probably once a month here if we want to, um, maybe, you know, maybe twice a month, depending on if, you know, how far you want to travel. But, um, for me, once we hit race one, it's a matter of, you know, there's potentially five races in the season at our club. Um, and then there's a couple of major events and also interstate as well. But, you know, last year, COVID, COVID restricted our travel. Um, we weren't allowed to cross the borders. So, um, 
it's a matter of keeping it up there um, and and just tweaking and making sure that we're we're recovered and we're ready to go. So that's something that I just wanted to touch on. So we will race, um, you know, here here in Queensland, we'll race of an evening, right? So we get there on a Saturday evening, we'll race, uh, race one um, or heat one, I should say. And then uh, the next day is heat two, you know? So we've got potentially 12 hours, you know, maybe depending on how, where we're, we're staying, 12 hours to um, recover, you know, so super important that our dogs, you know, get uh, the nutritional support they need, uh, the recovery they need, you know, I know that if I'm camping and I'm camping and it's, and it's almost snowing, <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting the best sleep. So I'm not therefore the best, you know, in the best shape for the next day. I, I definitely find that um, heat one is best, definitely my, um, my better heat for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of the races here are also two day where they'll race in, you know, day one, then you sleep and then you've got day two. And that day two is something that you definitely need to take into consideration in your training plan as well, because working out on muscles that might be sore and tired is very different than working on fresh muscles. So how do you add in those back to back days of training for, you know, your training plan in season to help you prepare for that? Yeah, for sure. So look, it's, it's, once again, it's, it's trying to simulate the race conditions, you know, so look, I believe that sleep plays a huge part in recovery, um, but for both us and and our dogs as well. Um, You know, when you go to a new environment, there's these external stress, right? And, you know, we may not sleep ourselves fantastic and our dogs may not you know, they may be a little bit on edge in regards to a new environment as well. So very hard to simulate that, um, you know, when you're coming back and sleeping at home, <laughs> you know, but, you know, um, we, I'm very lucky that some of our trails are only 20 minutes, half an hour drive from here. So I can get out um, that evening. Uh, and also just, just while I'm talking about that, racing at night, you know, we race at night, you know, so, you know, being prepared to race at night or you, you need to train at night, yeah? You need to get out, you need a headlamp um, and you need to make sure that your dog is going to be cool with that, you know. So some dogs don't or aren't initially, yeah. So we, we need a bit of training there as well. So, you know, going back to that, very fortunate that, yeah, the trails are, are close by and then I can get out, um, you know, that evening and then back the next day. So trying to simulate the race conditions the best, the best we can. Now, in addition to your uh, training plan, you know, for the in-season, are you also continuing your cross-training through that in-season? So it will it will come off. So the cross-training, so the, the proprioception, the flexibility stuff, it's there, right? So it's always there. So um, I call them planks, you know, your sit pretties, your, you know, your figure eights, things like that. that that's always there, right? So, um, but the, the, the strength work in regards to the drag work and the sled stuff, once we hit around, say, 50% of body weight, that'll be the goal over, say, um, three kilometres. Um, so, you know, we will, we will drop off. And the resistance work that, the, that we do, so I'll be on the bike on the brakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it'll transition, um, you know, so the drag work, I walk behind the dog, you know, the dog's on a long line well out in front. Um, it will transition to, yeah, bike and resistance on, on the, on the bike. 
Now, when you are in season training, we've increased intensity. You know, the workouts are starting to get a little more intense for you and the dog. What are some signs that you're looking for that you might need to add in an additional and potentially unplanned rest day? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I use my intuition a lot. Yeah. So for, and it's for me, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, there's a guy out there called Joel Jamison and he has a heart rate variability score and it's a, you know, a machine you put on your, on yourself and it gives you a, a recovery score. And basically every morning you do it and it gives, oh, um, yeah, there's also, um, I think they call it whoop as another brand. There's a few heart rate variability sort of apps and things like that out there. So I use that for me, right. Um, with the dog, once again, I'd love to have it for the dog. <laughs> um, you know, so what I don't do is I don't do high intensity days back to back for the dog. Okay. I've always got, um, depending on where we're at, uh, either, well, I would say 90% of the time, a high intensity day is followed by a light activity day. 90% of the time. Yeah. Unless I'm simulating race which I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to follow on the next day with a light activity day, 90% easy at the time. Yeah. So with all of our training and cross training, there's obviously some safety concerns that we need to think about, you know, yeah. for us and for our dogs in the summer, yeah. we worry about uh, high humidity and hot temperatures. Uh, there can certainly be misuse of equipment. So how do newcomers who might be just entering this world, just starting to get into fitness, kind of navigate that and make sure that they're doing things safely and not overdoing it. Yeah. So that's super important. And I, I was, I spoke recently with, a um, with some people around heat stroke, heat stress, obviously we're here in Australia, super important. Um, you know, the, um, also, um, you know, obviously knowing the signs and symptoms of heat stroke, heat stress, warming up and cooling down. Yeah. So we sent, we, we're still skipping over warm-ups and cool-downs. It doesn't take long, you know, five to 10 minutes. And, and we're not, uh, all we're doing is just getting our dog moving. We're increasing their body temperature. We're dynamically stretching them. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of static stretches, but both for me or the dog as well. Um, so we're getting them to do a series of, um, you know, figure eights, uh, sit pretties, you know, down to stand all part of our warm-up, 10 minutes, yeah. That's all we need um, to make sure that they're uh, they're primed and ready to go. And then when we finish, don't put them straight in the kennel. <laughs> you know, do not put them straight in the kennel. Once again, walk them out. Um, I do the same uh, cool-down exercises that I do for warming up, yeah, mm-hmm. 10 minutes. You know, or if it's been, you know, if they're exerted themselves extremely, it may take longer than 10 minutes before I put them away, right? Um, the other thing is, um, during summer, um, I've been working with a company, so we've been introducing electrolytes, uh, you know, um, so super important. And then, yeah, I've been experimenting with a recovery drink as well. So getting you're replenishing their uh, their carbs and their, their fats within sort of 15 minutes after vigorous exercise as well. So um, there's not a lot of data or science out there in regards to that um, at the moment. There's only one or two studies and... You know, so it's, it's a little bit experimental at this point in time. But once again, it comes back to knowing your dog. But if you, you know, um, simple, if you have a good understanding of the heat, the humidity, you warm them up, you cool them down and have some form of structured training plan that you're going to do, you know, sweet, happy days, right? You're going to be, you're going to be participating in a safe, safe way, hopefully in a systematic way and injury free as well. 
Yeah. And that injury free is huge because once they have an injury, they're more likely to get another. We've created some imbalances there for them. So that's why that base, that's why that safe training plan is really key. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to safety in terms of equipment and training, we also do want to talk a little bit about age, um, whether we've got young dogs or old dogs, our cross training, our training plans are going to look pretty different. So Mm -hmm. let's say we've got a younger dog and we're going back to that conversation of kind of our off season. Maybe this, this upcoming season is going to be their first racing year. Mm -hmm. What kind of things are you doing with them? Yeah, for sure. So I had a good conversation just recently about this as well. So for me, you know, I don't, do any sort of um you know drag work or strength work dogs if the dog's under under 12 months of age don't even we're not even thinking about it. sometimes 18 months of age yeah so so when it's you know you mentioned younger dog it really varies you know obviously between 12 and 18 months you know previously before that you know we're going to obviously be doing some line out work we're going to do our proprioception we're going to do our warm-up drills we're going to work on our sit pretties you know often we see um you know a young pup with a sloppy sit. So we're going to correct that and we're going to, you know, work on their core strength, um, you know, their flexibility. There's a number of things that we're going to do there leading up to this. But, you know, once the dog gets in harness for a training session, you know, we're not even going, you know, 100, you know, length of a football field for the first runs, you know, that's it. <laughs> you know? um, I, I strongly believe that, you know, we need to make sure that we preserve the longevity of our dogs and i want i want to see your dog competing and still running when they're nine or ten right you know i i don't care if they're they're 12 months of age and they're they're flying you know i'm not interested let's let's worry about the longevity of your dog and make sure that they get you know to that 10 year old and still having fun and he'll still have a great time so super important not to overdo puppies um you know with this stuff you know, yeah, we can still have fun. We can still put them in harness. We can still do some line out and, you know, we can still do proprioception, scent work. There's a heap of fun stuff there, like heaps of fun stuff. It's not like you're just leaving your dog in the kennel till it's 18 months of age, right? Right. Um, but, you know, on that side of things, um, I often say, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, you know, and, and I, I, you know, put that to a number of different scenarios and, if you spend the time and go slow at the start, you'll get fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's so important, you know, that longevity, because sure, the puppy might be ready to go, but there's so many harmful, uh, you know, changes that can happen to their body if we're not careful about what we're doing when they're still growing. And yes. again, it doesn't mean that we're not doing anything with them. There are so many beneficial and fun things we can be doing with them to build body awareness, to build, you know, um, good, reliable cue responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, co- you know, kind of on the other side of that too, if we amp a puppy up too early, then we could certainly start looking at burnout where the mm-hmm. puppy is not liking the activity anymore because it's the only thing they're doing. Oh, 100%. And, you know, yeah, look, we probably ideally would love to see a, you know, a young dog peak at say between three and four, right? You know, um, that's the, I for me, that's when we want to hit our, you know, hit our straps and um, be going out, you know, going our fastest, uh, et cetera. But, you know, you've got a long time to get there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I see that people do, they, they get puppies. They, you know, this puppy is from fantastic breeding. It's built for it. It's made for this stuff, right? Um, and potentially uh, they're all done by the time they're three. 
you know, mm -hmm. for, for some whatever reason. That could be burnt out. It could be serious injury, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so I want to see like what well, Noah, you know, like we will transition probably. So after next year, he'll be seven. We'll transition mainly or our primary will be Candy Cross. Um, and he'll be able to do that for next, another three more years easily, easily. He's in good nick, you know. So yeah. and, you know, so that's obviously lucky for me. But he's been in a show home for most of his life, right? Mm -hmm. um, I often joke around and say that I'd love to, you know, and I hopefully will get a puppy, um, you know, and uh, be able to document the process, which I'm super keen about. Yeah. So let's talk about those older dogs. I too have one of those older dogs. One of uh, our girl that we run just turned nine, and she's mm -hmm. still doing well and loving it. So when we are looking at our older dogs, how do we start to change their training plan? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll give you a good um, sort of scenario. So last last year, for instance, Noah, um, so we we participated in Canning Cross and we did really, you know, really great. Um, a friend of mine had not got his dog. Uh, his, I think the dog was injured. So I said, yeah, you can borrow Noah for Scooter, right? Certainly, <laughs> you know, it was too much. You know, like I was like, yeah, that's cool. He'll go out and have fun. But you could just see that, um, you know, that competing in the two classes for him was just too much, right? So we can certainly do here in Australia, we can do Candy Cross in one wheeled class, right? So I'm not sure if it's the same with you guys there. Yep. Um, so I'm going to dial that back, right? So over the, the coming years, we'll only participate in one class. And that for Noah, it'll be Candy Cross as as he gets older. And uh, next year, we'll still do bike. But after that, it'll it'll be reduced back to one one class. Um, and and knowing that, you know, like, you know, he's not a he's not a two or three year old dog anymore. Yeah. Um, could some two or three year old dogs do back to back? Of course they could, you know, but, you know, right now we, I need to know that he's, um, his mind's still there, you know, uh, and it's up to me to get his body as peak as it will be, but it, you know, he's certainly not a young dog there. So just identifying, uh, those types of things before you even go into your season and, Hey, I've got a nine year old dog. Yeah. Maybe shouldn't do candy cross and then do a, a you know, bike or scooter, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, we, we don't, we may see them pull up lame. We, we see the intensity is not there. Their fitness is not there, you know, like, uh, and that's when we're going to, you know, cut them real short. Um, if we continue to push them in those ways. So for me, you know, having once again, an understanding of the dog and going, Hey, yeah, he, he looks like he wants to, but you know, for the longevity, once again, we're going to just going to add in one class. So that's where that's, that's identify, you know, that's my first identifier. Yeah. And then, you know, we're not going in our training programs, we're not going to do as many um, back to back, you know, simulations. And then we're not going to um, do too many high intensity sessions. So, you know, if I have a young dog, I may do, I don't know, I'll just pluck something out of the air. I may do three high intensity sessions a week, right? Noah's going to get maybe two and then he's probably just going to get one, <laughs> you know, um, the rest will be light to moderate, you know, so um, having an understanding of, of that and moving, moving forward and look, he may, rec one week he may do two, right? He may be, I may, may look at him and go, he's in, you know, he's raring to go. We're going to do two, but obviously we're going to have a, um, a day in between or two days in between. Um, so, you know, when it comes to that, um, 
just yeah, just having a good understanding of where your dog's at. Once again, always a given. Proprioception, flexibility, done. <laughs> you know, I think um, that's super important. But also, I may spend a little bit more time um, with our massage and our recovery for, mm-hmm. for our older dogs. Yeah, so and they may may go and see a Cairo a couple more times a you know a year rather than. Um, you know, just the once or twice, you know, post-season, pre-season sort of thing, you know. So um, I may incorporate those services, you know, myofunctional therapies, bowel therapies, um, as I mentioned earlier, dry needling. He may get more of that stuff. Um, I've got, you know, a massage machine that comes from the equisage, you know, the horses, the horse stuff, you know. So mm-hmm. he gets more time on that being an older dog than, than the younger dogs. They just, they sort of bounce back pretty quick, yeah. 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 So when we're looking at our training plans and we're moving from off season to in season and then the other way around, what do you think are the biggest challenges during that transition? Yeah, for sure. Not doing too much. So I'll start with, you know, that that's the biggest thing, you know, so I'm not sure if you see it, but this is what I see, right? I say, I want to, I want to try this sport. Cool. But I, 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 I need a training program because on Monday nights I do obedience. On Tuesday nights I do agility. On Wednesday nights we do fly ball. On Thursday nights, you know, we do tracking, you know, and then I want to do these dog power sports in between. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're doing a great job. You're super keen. However, that's way too much. Right. So, (laughs) um, just, just, you know, if you want to do this, you know, dog powered sports, whether it be candy cross, bike, scooter, whatever, you know, just have a, once again, a structured plan. And, and unfortunately, I'll be honest here, something's got to go, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't do seven days of different activities. You know, um, that's where we we're talk about the weekend warrior. Yeah. So the weekend warrior that comes into say um, a scooter class or a bike class and that, you know, they, they end up either burnt out, injured, you know, they're the two two biggest things and you never see them again. Yeah. You know? Because Monday night they do agility, Tuesday night they do obedience, you know, everything's happening. And, and I love, I, don't get me wrong, I love the fact that they're doing these, right? Yeah. They're, they're all about their dog. However, you know, we really need to just have a look at our priorities and, and what, what does that dog enjoy? What do mm-hmm. we enjoy? You know, like there's a big difference between what we enjoy and what the dog enjoys, yeah? You know, yeah. I love run. I love running. You know, I love bike. You know, I love. We go fast on the bike. We hit the corners. It's it's awesome, right? It's adrenaline. Not for everybody. Um, you know, candy cross is not for everybody. You know, I hate I hate running. Okay, then well, we don't do candy cross, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you get the same buzz um, from agility? You know, like I used to do agility, but um, I don't. And, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't. Whereas, you know, the the buzz that I get from, you know being behind the dog uh, on the bike is, you know, keeps me coming back. That's, you know, and yeah. not just that, but also the, the, the huge tongue out and the, the smile on his face at the end going, that was cool. You know, we can look yeah. at, we can look at photos and videos and you go, yeah, he loves it. You know? So, so looking at your overall, um, you know, your overall, dog what you want to achieve what what they enjoy and really spending a bit of time and and you know reducing some of the other stuff and and just focus on for a little while and and go from there because we 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 overtrain and we, you know we under recover overtrain and we don't really give things a, a proper shot 
Yeah. Under recover, overtrain. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> For sure. For sure. You know, um, it's, it's, yeah, look, it's common in humans as well. So, you know, if we talk about humans for a moment, so I, I used to CrossFit, right? CrossFit every day. I lasted three months. I was sick. I was, you know, I, you know, I was burnt out. CrossFitted every day. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. And I was in peak condition and the, the uh, you know, the, the endorphin release of these high intensity sessions and throwing weights around, you know, like I'm the man. Yeah. However, I got sick. I got glandular fever. Couldn't train for months. Yeah. You know, and there was no, there was no recovery. There was nothing. So, you know, I compare that to our dogs. So, so with, you know, with my philosophy and my training program, it, you know, it's come from humans, right? Like, there's just not a lot of science and research around this stuff that we've, you know, with dogs at the moment. So I'm adapting a lot of the uh, human stuff and it's, it's so common that, um, you know, we're overtraining and under recovering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to drop links to your sites in the show notes here, but for our listeners, can you give them a little overview about what they might expect from your program and who this program might be a good fit for? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, well, as you know, so I do, I have my own podcast as well. And obviously you've been on a guest, uh, you've been on as a guest. So that's been fantastic. So the Dogs and Deadloose podcast, um, I really, um, you know, have a great following of people and have a cross section of um, uh, guests on there that, that talk about nutrition, uh, dog powered sports, um, but also some other sports, fast cat, um, agility, things like that. So I really like to, to mix it up a little bit um, in regards to that. But so I've just launched a, um, a membership site, uh, canineconditioning.club. And that's basically a, a subscription model that um, people will have access to um, my training programs for as long as you know, as long as you want, or as short as you want. Um, through that program, basically, so I've got my pyramid. We start off with uh, nutrition. So uh, I discuss. Uh, I'm a big advocate for for raw or fresh feeding. So uh, I believe that is, um, you know, that is the the way to go. Uh, if that's okay, you know, we, we certainly welcome uh, kibble feeders, um, but that's just my personal belief in a, around nutrition. Um, oh, look, I won't get into it too deeply. It could go for another, you know, hours, hours about another episode. <laughs> I know, right? I know, you know, but um, you know, so we start really with the the base of the pyramid is is um, is nutrition. And we move up into, you know, body awareness and, and movement patterns. So that will encompass our, our proprioception, um, our flexibility, things like that. Then we move into strength, endurance. Uh, strength and endurance are two separate categories and the ways that we can go about uh, doing that. And in within those ca categories, we have subsections, you know, uh, candy cross, spike, um, drag work, things like that. Um, and then moving forward, which... You know, the tip of the the, um, the pyramid is something that it needs to be there, but I don't cover it, right? It's sports specific uh, for a lot of a lot of people. So yes, we'll talk about dog powered sports specific. However, you know, I'm not going to try and preach about um, protection sports or um, you know agility things like that. It's just not my my jam, right? Mm -hmm. So I leave that there to the those coaches that that's you know that's their go-to so i believe you need to do some sports specific training mm -hmm. however go go find a suitable coach uh, that you know has a number of years experience in that particular area so that's sort of the pyramid and we talk about um just you know more about the rate of perceived exertion 
uh, strength training exercises. Yeah, it's quite, you know, it goes quite deep into a, a number of different levels. I love it. I love it. Well, anything before we head out here, any last minute tips on cross training and conditioning programs for dogs that you think would be helpful for our listeners? Look, you know, I think we've covered off a lot and I thank you very much for, for having me. You know, it's super important, you know, once again, that um, we take it slow. Um, look, if they take one piece of um, one piece of advice away, you know, let's have a look at the safety things. You know, we want to make sure that our heat, our temperature, uh, our warm-ups, our cool-downs, you know, they're, they're super important to add um, because often when we're in a rush or where, you know, they get overlooked and our dogs, you know, we just think our dogs are bulletproof and they just can cope with a lot of stuff. And yes, they can. However, you know, we want to make sure that they're, they're fit, they're healthy, they're strong mentally and physically um, to participate in um, the activity that we choose. And, and you know, obviously we're talking about, um, you know, dog-powered sports here in particular, but, you know, it could be, um, you know, scent work, it could be agility, fly ball, you name it, you know, fast cat, you know, there's so many great sports out there. So just take them take the time um, to check on the, the safety and the welfare of your dog, um, bef- you know, before before jumping into, you know, that, uh, that competition. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.